The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Rack and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. This is the newscast for episode 128 for the week of August 12th. Can you believe it's been 128 episodes? No. Alex? No. no Alex, I can't. You, you sound different today, Alex. Uh, I, we actually have a special uh, guest today. Andre Gaeta is going to be our co-host. Andre, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me here. 128. Congratulations, man. Thank you very much. Uh, before we jump into the news, Andre, how's your summer been? Have you done anything fun? Yeah, yeah. Yesterday, in fact, uh, went rafting. Um, I don't know if anyone out there is a rafting fan. Uh, I did it a long time ago and took a hiatus. And uh, with a young family, we said, hey, let's go try rafting. And uh, now we've all been bitten by the rafting bug. And now we're talking about going rafting again. So So this uh, is like a whitewater rafting with a guide? Yeah. Uh, Where'd you do it? Uh, Clear Creek, right up in Idaho Springs. Hour drive. If you guys have a chance, go check it out. It's a ton of fun. That's fantastic. And and how old's your son? Is he 12? He's 12. And who's who's okay age for that? Yep. So so we were concerned. Um, We said, well, do we want to go to the intermediate, class three, class four? And we said, let's do the beginner, class two, class three. And within the first, you know, five minutes, like all 12-year-olds, He's like, hey, let's go do a class four, class five. So yeah. we're already planning the next trip for a few weekends. That's certainly been like one of the highlights of the summer. That's fantastic. Well, it's good to get to connect. It's been a while. Uh, you know, unfortunately, we don't get to talk too much as we record, but it's good to see you. Likewise, man. All right. Moving through some housekeeping stuff. We, we have a Slack channel. If anyone wants to get plugged in with the last I saw, 1,024. It's a good binary number. 1,024 members of the Slack community. Uh, you can get the link to join the Slack channel at colorado-security.com. And while you're there, you can also join our mailing list. So you get the show notes delivered into your inbox each Sunday at approximately noon, uh, depending on how good a job we do with, with that. Uh, we also would love it if you'd rate us and subscribe on your favorite iTunes or excuse me, your podcast listening app, maybe iTunes, maybe Google Play. Let people know about us so we can get more listeners uh, and tell a friend. If you're interested in, in helping the show grow, best way you can do that is tell a coworker, tell a friend, tell a random stranger on the train uh, about Colorado Equal Security. They'd love that, the random strangers. Uh, and finally, if you want to support us even more, we do have a Patreon campaign where you can uh, donate money to help the show that goes directly back into the community. Speaking of Patreon, Andre, this week, we actually had two new patrons sign up. That's fantastic. Can, can you believe that? Yeah. No. What's the total number at now? Uh, I, that, I, that's not a question I'm prepared to answer right now. I don't know. <laughs> well, I, on a tw- different note then, <laughs> join the Slack channel because there's a pretty cool giveaway each week. And if you get picked for the Slack message of the week, you get to pick out a pretty cool piece of that's swag. That's true. From the Colorado Equal Security Store. That's absolutely true. And and we, we will go through who the winner is this week, but it is a thanks to you that we have that competition at all. Um, but I do have to, to give a shout out to our new two, our two new patrons. We have uh, Jason Hayes, who works with Allergen. He is, he's a new sponsor for the, for the show. And Michael Steffen, who I, I think you might know Michael yeah, Steffen, right? Absolutely. Uh, Michael is the the privacy and security officer at Connect for Health Colorado, and they are both helping support the show. So thanks a lot to both of those guys. Yeah, guys. Thank you so much. All right. Why don't we jump into the news, Andre? What do we got first? We ha- I, I can tell you're thinking, Rob, why don't you tell me what we have first? We have news about Ibotta. So Ibotta is the local Denver tech company that does like receipt scanning and, and gives you like, kind of perks based on what you scan. And they just got raised a new fund that values, values them at over $1 billion. So, so guess how many downloads of the app have been done for Ibotta. Any idea? Well, if they have a billion dollars, I'm going to guess they have a billion downloads. 
Uh, no, so only 30 million downloads. Well, that's that's a pretty good number too, though. Yeah, yeah, but guess how much they've given out in rewards? How much have they given out? $500 million. What? $500 million. It's on. So most people, so the people are, that's like $16 a person on average or something like that, if yeah. my math skills are right. Yeah. They're wow. Giving, they're giving money back. It's a really cool app. Wow. I, I haven't downloaded it yet. I, I saw the article. I went out there. I was like. So I go there, I buy things, and they give me money back for the things that I buy. Like, why would I not do this? It sounds like a pretty uh, no break. Except for now, you're selling your data, right? That's basically how it works: is that you give their data, your data, and now they are going to use that with with marketers. I assume. I don't know. I, I'm sure that's yeah. a part of the platform. Um, but you know, data privacy is a whole another conversation for another day. <laughs> do you really have any data privacy anyway? If it's gone, <laughs> then you might as well get something for it. Well, so. Obviously, good good news for them. They're they're now valued at over a billion. That makes them a unicorn, which yeah. is a, a rare thing, you know, from the mythical creatures uh, catalog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so congratulations to Ibotta, and uh, looking forward to seeing what happens next for those guys. Yeah. Uh, next up in the news is Angie Home Services CEO talked about possible spinoff from the parent company. So uh, so Angie Services they are owned by uh, IAC, which is a public company on Nasdaq, and they told their shareholders in a letter this last week. Um, that they're considering spinning off two of their large uh, companies, which includes Angie and Match.com. I did not know they had Match.com as a yeah. part of their umbrella. Not so relevant to the Denver community as Angie. Angie is, of course, headquartered here in, in Denver. Um, so a couple of interesting things about this. Uh, IAC has already in the past spun off the Home Shopping Network, Ticketmaster, and some other big companies that we all, we've all heard of. So they're, they're, this is something that they do on a regular basis. Um, and Andy's kicking butt right now. In fact, their uh, their revenue for Q2 of this year was $343 million, which if you add that up at four quarters, that's that's a pretty good $1.5 billion a year company type. Um, but that is a 17% increase from the same time last year. So they're also growing at a healthy clip. That's good to see. All right. Uh, moving on to our next story. Uh, not quite so good a, good a news. Teletech, or excuse me, it's now called T-Tech. T-Tech Services is going to lay off more than 170 workers. So this is interesting, right? So th their stock from the start of the year is 55.6%, uh, and they've outperformed three of the past four quarters. So the company on paper, right, according to the shareholders and investors, they're doing well. But they're going to remove 179 people. And p part of me in my very simple-minded brain this just seems like a regular exercise in talent management and someone's making a big deal out of it yeah and it's not it to go even a step further they they had the same day they announced this they had multiple career fairs going and they announced earlier this week that they're going to be hiring 2700 associates across the u.s uh so i, I do believe you're you're right that this is kind of a, a pruning exercise more than it is a the company's in trouble uh, indication. Um, and it also looks like, you know, at least the story they're giving is that it was based on the fact that um, they lost a contract with a specific customer of theirs who had like a work from home acceptable that, that allowed work from home. So maybe they're laying off the people who are working from home and bringing people into the office. It's hard to say. Hard to say. I, I think Teletech's doing okay and they're going to be all right. And this is just a natural part of the business cycle. Agree. But there's another piece of news from another local company on here that maybe has layoffs that maybe are a little more significant. Yeah. So Western Union's closing their Florida office and they laid off nine VPs as the staff cuts begin. Yeah. So this, this is actually a follow-up from a story that happened earlier in the week where they announced that they were going to be laying off 10% of their workforce, uh, really across, around the world, I believe it is. Uh, it includes multiple executive vice presidents, senior vice presidents, really you know, a bunch of, they said like three compliance officers, which kind of blows my mind. They have three compliance officers. Uh, 
but they, they are they are really having significant cuts across the organization. Yeah, it's it's such a household name, Western Union. Um, you know, for as big and as um, storied as they are, right? They seem to be having some hard times with the digital transformation that's taking place. And you know, maybe part of it's a branding thing. I mean, there's a ton of great people over there. They've got great products and services. And you know, one example is they've got a mobile person-to-person app similar to PayPal or Venmo or Zelle, but most people don't know about right. it. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, I guess they're going through that transformation and they're restructuring. Certainly, you know, we're hoping that they're going to be able to come out of this and come out stronger. And I'm confident they will over time, but this is, you know, it's tough when you go through these changes. Yeah. I mean, they are the hometown team. So we're definitely rooting for them to, to, to make this happen. Uh, whatever we can do. If, if you're right now about to send money using Venmo, maybe don't do that. Maybe go install the Western union app and give it a shot. Yeah. Give it yeah. a try. Right. Can't hurt. All right. Moving on. Uh, moving over to security news, Ping Identity, uh, everyone's favorite Denver-based identity company, uh, released this this week a private cloud identity solution. So this has actually been like consuming my life for the last year. So I'm excited to be able to talk about this now. Um, you know, in, in general, you get a SaaS application, you have a multi-tenant uh, hosted application. Well, this is very similar, except it's a single tenant or, or uh, option. So instead of having, um, you know, if you try and move to a SaaS, you kind of have to give up on many things because you're going to the lowest common denominator has to work with that platform in a multi-tenant environment here in a single tenant environment you don't have to to give up quite so much you know you get to customize and and have things that are directly customized for your organization so we talk about this a lot in the industry right from a platform perspective single tenant versus multi-tenant certainly financial services companies right have a little bit more stringent requirements Mm -hmm. relative to compliance and prefer that single tenant model Talk us through some of the business drivers as Ping oriented itself around single tenant versus multi-tenant. What were some of the drivers behind making this decision to productize right. a single tenant offering? It, it, it's a great question. So th- we've already had the multi-tenant, right? We've had it for a long time. Yep. Uh, it, the creation of the single tenant environment was to say to answer the bell when people say, hey, I want all of the same features we get from your software in our data center, but I don't want to have to manage it, right? I don't want to have to have... Uh, the IAM team on my staff. I don't want to be, have to be responsible for the SLAs around uptime. I want you guys to take care of all that for me, but I don't want to give up feature functionality. And you just don't get that from a multi-tenant environment. Uh, the other answer you're already talking about was highly regulated uh, government organizations, financial services. Uh, they are really interested in having a single tenant isolated environment where they can say, that's my environment and we're going to treat it the way I want to. So this kind of answers those requirements for them. Ping is, you know, the enterprise identity play. We don't sell, do a lot of SMB type of work. Um, so a lot of our companies are really interested in this level yeah. of control. And I'm guessing during the, the contractual discussions with the enterprises you work with, as you get into liability, warranty, indemnity, multi-tenant versus single tenant, as you move into that single tenant conversation, um, I imagine that makes the contracting process a little bit easier because yeah. you're not sharing a tenant with other enterprises and around data privacy and other things like that. Yeah, and if you have one company that says, "I you know, I want my password policy to be A," and the next company says, "I want it to be B," well, a single, a multi-tenant environment doesn't work for that, right? Yeah. Single tenant does. Yeah. All right. So let's let's Great move news. along. Congrats. Yeah, it is good. Congrats, Ping. Thanks. I appreciate it. Uh, what do we got next? Uh, next up, give me one second here. Is managed method is methods increases revenue by 141 percent in the first half of 2019. Well, that's that's really good. I I like it. That, that's more than double, right? 141 is more than double. <laughs> so, so uh, interestingly, right, they do a lot of work with educational institutions, right, helping them yeah. manage their applications and specifically the security of their applications through APIs. Um, recently, I don't know if you know this, but in Texas, they just passed a bill called 820, the Texas Senate Bill 820, 
which requires all schools in the state of Texas must adopt a cybersecurity policy. Hmm. Interestingly, Louisiana also passed a similar policy for educational institutions. I don't know how much business managed methods is doing outside of Colorado, but it seems in the key area that they serve, there seems to be a lot of now legislation coming up right. requiring educational institutions to implement cybersecurity policies, which is great. Yeah, I, I agree with you that the school, they do a ton of work with schools. And I actually believe from what I heard that they do work in Texas too. So I bet you that they were part of that. And uh, that's a great driver for them. Congrats to them for the growth. And we're excited to see a local security company do well. Keep it up. Speaking of local security companies, Optiv has announced a brand new CTO for the Americas, uh, Todd Weber. Hey, Todd, congrats. Um, you know, it's interesting. Todd goes back with Optiv to 2005. It's infrequent in today's, specifically in cybersecurity, but in most companies, to see somebody with the firm for 14 years. Yeah. And it's always exciting when there's that internal promotion, someone who started early in their career, committed to an organization, who then gets promoted up through the ranks. Um, right? It's a rarity today. It's not the standard. But good good for Todd. Congratulations. I'm sure he's going to make a lot of great uh, additions to and changes to what Optiv's already doing. Yeah, looking forward to, to seeing what's next for, for Optiv. Next up. Context matters, turning data into threat intelligence from Webroot. Yeah, so Webroot has a, I would actually say a pretty good uh, spot on blog post here around how do you use threat intelligence? And, and so many of us get these feeds that maybe go directly into our SIM or you know into some kind of central repository, but without a lot of context around it, you're just getting a bunch of data that you know adds cost, adds administrative burden, but maybe doesn't add value. And they start to give some examples of, of how do you turn that data into specific actionable intelligence. Yeah, this, this notion of context matters really resonates with me. Um, one of my favorite clients of all time is Southwest Airlines. Uh, and there was the head of the Threat and Vulnerability Management Program. And in information security, context does matter. And uh, he had a quote at the bottom of his email, and, and I have to give him credit for it. And I thought it was very clever, but it was true. And this went out on all his internal and external messages. And it said, security without context is meaningless. I'm susceptible to drowning, but I don't wear a life preserver everywhere I go. There you go. Right. That's, that's a great example. Uh, good stuff. Uh, last story here. We have a story from dark owl talking about eight Chan. Um, I don't know. I'm sure I had actually never heard of eight Chan before the, the tragedy in the last week where one of the, one of the shooters was at the shooter in El Paso. I think it was, um, had, had put his manifesto on eight Chan, um, as the, as like a place to dump it. And, and really it was, 4chan uh, when 4chan got to be too restrictive they created 8chan to be like you know just hell on earth basically from what it sounds like uh, and and now 8chan has been knocked off the internet but this blog post is talking about how uh, just because cloudflare stopped protecting them doesn't mean they've gone away there's actually a uh, a, a hidden site called was it zero net i think it's called yeah where, where they've been hosted so interesting to see yeah you know it's this whole we could have spend an entire show talking about freedom of speech, the exercise in democracy, right? Where is that borderline of freedom of speech, and where is that borderline being able to say the things that you want to say? Um, they left 4chan because of the moderation, and they felt that it wasn't the uh, platform they could have. Does this tie into a Silk Road type environment? Right. Maybe. 
Um, you know, many of the folks out there, listeners, right, have access to a Tor browser and can gain access to the dark web. We are somewhat already protected by our ISPs and other controls that don't really allow us to access the full internet. But as it relates to this particular article and the unfortunate nature of what happened in El Paso, um, you know, from a freedom of speech perspective, where does it start? Where does it stop? Who governs it? Um, I think this is still uncharted waters. And even though it's 2019, I don't think we have a good answer for this. Yeah, it is. It is really tough stuff. And, and obviously the, the line between, you know, protecting people and giving freedom of speech is it's not ever set in one place. And I think this is going to push it in one direction. These types of things are going to push it the other way. Yeah. All right. That is it for news. Moving over to the Slack message of the week. Andre, thanks for sponsoring this. I love sponsoring this. Every week we talk about this. Uh, This is an opportunity for us to to recognize someone who really keeps the conversation going in the Slack channel. Although, honestly, it's been hard to pick lately because there's so much conversation. It's hard to keep up on it. Uh, But I did. It wasn't hard this week. I, I was really happy to be able to... Um, recognize Josh Gillum. Um, I don't know if you saw this post, Andre, but the Buff Overflows, which is the CU um, capture the flag CTF type of a team, won first place in the Wicked Six Cyber Games this week. Nice job, guys. Congratulations. So congratulations to Josh for winning Slack Message of the Week. As a result of this, you get one item out of the Colorado Equal Security Store um, of your favorite swag. Yeah, yeah. And people have been ordering all sorts of good stuff. T-shirts, mugs, stickers, magnets go has out it, there check it out there's great has, stuff has anyone bought the thong but so yes far? there there is one person do, should we reveal who that is he, uh, he knows who it is yeah uh, 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 or alex is the one all right <laughs> M- moving along over to events i want to do a reminder that uh, we do have a calendar of events on the website at colorado-security.com you can go see everything that's happening through the end of this year uh, we every week on the show we go through the next couple of weeks of events so you can plan out your own calendar and and show up wherever it is uh, this week on the 13th, there's a Splunk meetup. They're doing a brewery tour and a hands-on workshop making your own Splunk visualization app. It'd be cool if it was also hands-on making your own beer. That would be cool. That yeah. would be cool. I bet they could make that happen. Um, also on the 13th is the uh, local Denver ISSA chapter meeting. They're meeting on the 13th and 14th. Uh, on the 15th, SecureSet is doing a Hacking 101, an introduction to data visualization. And on the 17th, CISSP Seminar Series, Domain 1, Security and Risk Management. This is such a good opportunity for anyone who's looking to get into security or you're, you're already in and you really want to get that CISSP. These are incredibly cheap uh, CISSP trainings given by the local ISSA chapter. Um, on the 20th and 21st, the Colorado Springs ISSA is doing their August meetings. That's on the, the dinner on the 20th and lunch on the 21st. Also on the 21st, CTA DevOps at Scale meeting. Uh, on the 22nd, the IT Security Professionals Happy Hour is hosted by IntelliSecure. So go join IntelliSecure and get to know some other security folks. On the 22nd also, the CTA Women in Government, CWCC Young Professionals Board and Public Affairs Committee. It's a lot of words, isn't it? It's a, it's a lot of words. Uh, on the, also on the 22nd, it's a busy day. If you want to do something on the 22nd, you'll have your choices. Uh, in Colorado Springs, the Air Force CyberWorks Small Business Innovation Research Seminar is happening. And if the 22nd is not good for you, on the 23rd, the day after, you can go into a beginner's intro to capture the flag done by SecureSet. I love those events. I've had quite a few people who've started attending those just like to 
get their toes into the water of, of security, and they've really enjoyed them. So if you're thinking about it, I, I recommend going. Capture the flags are a lot of fun. They do big yeah. ones at, like this week, Black Hat Defcon, one of yeah. the biggest ones in the world takes place. Um, they're fun to watch and participate and see what's happening. It's really, really interesting to see how yeah. they build the stories out and then how the teams work together through a variety of techniques to capture the flag. It's, yeah. it's interesting. It's so cool, and, and it's great that they're doing an approachable way that you can get in here. You don't have to be a pro to, to step, step in here. Uh, the next day on the 24th is the, the next CISSP seminar. This is on the third domain, security engineering. Uh, and then final one, Andre, this is you? Yeah, uh, August 24th, also my birthday. So feel ah, free to, to, to send gifts. Um, Colorado Springs ISSA mini seminar. So on your birthday, are you going to be spending it learning about the CISSP or are you going to be in the Springs with the mini seminar? Uh, I think we're going to be on a raft. Oh, <laughs> uh, you're going back out already. I think we're going right. back out. That's awesome. All right, let's go ahead and move over to jobs. I have a, uh, a few jobs here. Well, I'm going to start off with the ping identity jobs like we do every week. If you're, if you're going to work for me, you get to be on the podcast. That's pretty good. Uh, the uh, ping identity opening that I want to talk about this week is our GRC analyst. We're looking for an entry-level person who's interested in getting in, into security. If you have some kind of a research background, maybe a writing background, and, and you like to learn, this would be a good opportunity for you. Uh, SOC 2 uh, ISO certifications, ri vendor risk management, business continuity. Those are the kind of domains you'd get to play with if you join Ping doing that. That's fun. Also over at Ping is the manager of product security. Um, you guys make great products. And if you get to be a manager of product security, that's pretty cool. Uh, at Maxar, they are hiring a VP of enterprise security. This is a cleared position. So top secret uh, clearance is required, or, or maybe they'll help you. I, I don't know the answer to that, but I think this is basically the CISO on their government side. And Visa is hiring a chief cybersecurity engineer. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? It sounds really good. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what skills you need, but I bet they're pretty high. They're above mine. Especially after what happened with Capital One recently. This mm. is probably a, a more and more important. Bank of America is hiring a cybersecurity incident manager. And I'll just say Bank of America has like 50 security positions open in Denver right now. So that's a website you might want to check out if you're looking for a job. Yeah. Great to see Bank of America moving their operations here and hiring a lot of security folks. Um, also on the job site, Ball Corporation is looking for a cybersecurity operations lead. Uh, Terumo BCT is hiring a software security architect. And the Office of the Attorney General hiring a cybersecurity analyst. What a lot of good jobs this week, huh? Absolutely. IHS Market is hiring a cybersecurity specialist. And Jeppesen is also looking for a, cyber, a, a security specialist. Uh, Coalfire is hiring a vice president of cybersecurity services innovation. I would like to know more about what cybersecurity services innovation doesn't, is. Doesn't this seem like the kind of job that you give some, like an early employee who you don't have anything to do anymore? Like, you're like, well, let's put him over there on cybersecurity services innovation. And, you know, we'll, that way we don't have to cut his pay but, <laughs> and we don't have to get rid of him. Like, it doesn't seem like a job that you actually need to hire for. So I'm super curious what this means. Yeah. If you're out there, please let us know. Uh, I mean, the, anything with innovation in the title sounds pretty cool. Sounds pretty good to me. Yeah. Uh, last job, Andre. All right, Privity in uh, Denver is looking for an IT audit associate director. All right, well, that takes us to the end of the news for this week. Uh, we do have a, a, a feature interview, and this is a, a, a fun one. We have an interview with Eric Alexander. He is the senior lead DevSecOps uh, engineer over at the Trade Desk. And this is a, a special one because neither Alex nor I did this interview. We had Joe McAllister, one of the one of the listeners and a part of the community, volunteer to do a couple of interviews for us. And he sat down with Eric this week and, uh, and got the interview for us. It's awesome that you guys expand the community and allow members to participate in meaningful ways. So 
uh, continuing to grow and build and, you know, in the essence of Colorado security, you guys continue to innovate. So great job. Awesome. And if anyone else is listening and wants to help do interviews, this is your opportunity. Well, I think that is it for us. Andre, anything else before we go? Everyone have a great weekend. Enjoy your time out there. The summer's still on. I know kids are going back to school soon, but summer's still on. So go out there and have some fun. All right. We'll talk to you again soon. This is James Carter, CISO at Logarithm. This is Colorado Equals Security for Colorado Security Professionals by Colorado Security Professionals. This is Joe McAllister with uh, Colorado Equals Security. I'm here with Eric Alexander. Of course, I messed it up the second after I said (laughs) it's easy to pronounce. um, Of the Trade Desk. um, And... So I would love to just kick things off with you running kind of through your, your background, be that education. Are you, are you originally from Colorado? I'm originally from Colorado. I, I pretty much grew up um, like 10 feet away from here. So my, when I was three, my parents moved here and they, um, they, my, my dad uh, was in retail management and he, uh, he took his first entrepreneurship stab and bought a store on Pearl Street um, just after Pearl Street became a pedestrian mall. And, um, yeah, I spent most of my childhood on Pearl Street, so uh, we're we're sitting on Pearl Street now, and this is this is just kind of like home for me. But yeah, I'm a fifth generation Colorado native, and we joke in the family that we're just not allowed to leave Colorado. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so yeah, how uh, how did you kind of get into the security game? Was it a uh, something you always wanted to do, or was it something that uh, I see more of a trend as oh, there's this thing we need you to take care of. You're now the guy for that. That's it. That's it. I mean. I, <laughs> Uh, I think security has a lot, I, I think you can see it when you go to, um, um, you know, various conferences like Black Hat and, and DEF CON, where if you went to those conferences 10 years ago, it was nowhere near the size it is right now. And, and the people that you encounter there um, were people that uh, uh, were very interested in security for various reasons. Like it wasn't necessarily about the money. It wasn't because um, it looked like this great job opportunity, typically. Um, and I think a lot of a lot of those people definitely fell into it through indirect routes. And and I think a lot of those people uh, got interested because uh, you know they they found themselves in an incident and they didn't have the answers, and they climbed out of that hole and and they just kind of became the security person. In a lot of ways, my path into this isn't too much different. I um, uh, probably about 15 years ago, I had a, a personal server at my house that was exposed to the internet and it got popped and uh, I proceeded to spend like a month trying to figure out like who got into it, how did they get into it and, and what was going on. And at, at the time it was like a very um, classic tale of I didn't patch something and they, they found it and they got in. Um, but through that, uh, at the time, I was doing some consulting work, and we had a customer that um, did some DoD work, and they had some questions about security, and um, because some my manager and some coworkers knew that I was obsessed with finding these Russian hackers that got into my my home server, um, all of a sudden I started getting this. Uh, if, if security-related work came in through the consulting gig, all of a sudden I started doing that. Um, but then I left there and I, I went to a company and I um, was more, I, I started more or less as a sysadmin and then I became a network engineer and part of that was managing the firewalls. And one day one of our bigger customers, a, a federal customer said, hey, um, you guys need to be uh, NIST 800-53 compliance. 
and uh, the powers that be said, you know, like, who's, who's going to do this? And they thought, well, Eric manages the firewalls. I think Eric should just do this. So they came to me and said, hey, we, you know, we got this new project for you. You need to take care of this thing called NIST 800-53 compliance. And I thought, like, yeah, sure, why not? How hard, how hard could it be? And two years later, once we really stamped it as done, like, I, I figured out how hard that could be. And from from there, I I, I became less of just the, the network security engineer and more of just the security guy. Um, and then we were acquired by a public company, so we had to start doing SOCs. Um, uh, we, uh, HIPAA came in there in the mix at some point and, uh, shortly thereafter. So, so there's, there's a book out there, it's called Good to Great. And, um, I, I think about that book when I think about why I wanted to leave that company. And this happens so often when a company is acquired that, um, you might have a company in the, in good to great, they talk about getting the right people on the bus. So they talk about hire smart people. It doesn't really matter what their skill set is. Hire smart people, get the right people on the bus, and they'll, they'll find problems to solve, and they'll solve those problems. And um, while I have a, a lot of respect for the company I worked at, and even for the company that acquired us, and all the people associated with that, I, I started to see uh, the right people get off the bus, and I thought, it's time for me to get off the bus. Um, so I, I found the trade desk. Um, really what piqued my interest about the trade desk is it came up on my radar. Uh, we're in the business of ad tech, but if you look at our company name, it doesn't suggest we do anything with ad tech. It sounds like we're a Wall Street company. Um, once I saw that it was ad tech related, I thought, like, gross, I don't want anything to do with that. But there was something in the job description that piqued my interest, and it was you have to pass a coding exercise. And I, it blew my mind. I was like, why would anybody... Uh, why would any information security engineer have to pass a coding exercise? But it resonated and it, it was on the forefront of my mind for days after I read that only because I, I taught myself how to write code a long time ago and when possible I'd solve problems through code. So I knew there was value there and I, I really wanted to, to find out why it was so important for this company. Um, so one thing led to another and, and, and here I am. Awesome, awesome. So yeah, there's definitely a, a theme of code becoming, you know, those circles are overlapping more and more and more and, and programming knowledge as a security engineer, even analyst level, whatever it might be, that, that is helpful just based off of attacks we see in the wild. So um, you currently are, uh, and forgive me, I know we, we talked briefly about uh, titles and how they're strange here, right? But you, you are DevOps, DevSecOps, so we're, it, yeah, so um, titles, we're a very flat organization and, and titles don't mean as much here as they mean in a lot of organizations, but uh, my, I'm a, uh, uh, so it's kind of interesting, internally my, my title is senior lead software engineer, but I'm not a software engineer as most people would, would think of a software engineer, it's just that um, for various reasons, we have some very standardized titles, but again, they, they don't really mean much around here. Um, but on my, my LinkedIn profile, I, I have senior lead DevSecOps engineer because I lead a, uh, a DevSecOps team and, and that's, that's really what I do. So to, I think a lot of people would get confused if I had on my LinkedIn title 
uh, senior lead security engineer, they think, well, what are you going to do security? Like, mm -hmm. what's, what's going on there? But to help clarify that publicly, that's what I have on my title. Yeah, so that's, and I mean, that's interesting because of, uh, and we talked prior to starting the, the interview here about how it's just intersecting more and more, and as companies want to move faster uh, and break things faster too, um, DevOps becomes part of the culture and therefore coming right behind it, especially today we see uh, more importance placed on the that middle syllable, right? The, the DevSecOps is becoming way more important um, so how do you guys, or how do you personally kind of go through your day? What does um, your, if there is, I'm sure the standard answer is there are no two days that are the same, but in an organization that is growing quickly as, as the trade desk is, um, how do you and your team kind of adapt to those challenges as new technologies coming out, as new platforms are being spun up or, or hardened as it is? Um, what's your kind of process? What's your day look like? Um, that's a good question. Uh, more and more, my, my days are just a lot of meetings. Um, and uh, w when I think about what I can do, it's, it's how can I improve the bandwidth that my team has. So it's a lot of meetings, it's a lot of figuring out how can I improve their bandwidth. Um, but that's me uh, on our team. We really do what fundamentally every security team does or every every security practitioner does um, regardless of their title or their team and it's it's really uh, identifying risks and reducing those risks so we we have purview over some very specific things here and it's identifying risks related to those things and attempting to reduce those risks um, uh, actually I missed a step there it should be identifying the risks and prioritizing and then reducing because you'll just chase your tail if you're trying to um, uh, solve all of the problems all at once. So we have this term that gets thrown around a lot internally and it's, it's what we uh, call the peanut butter effect. So it's this idea of peanut butter that just gets kind of thinner and thinner and the more things you chase after, um, the more thinner you are on all those things and the less likely you are to accomplish any one of those things. So um, that's where the prioritization is so important, right? Identify the risks, try not to freak out when you see the list of risks and, and go and tackle the highest priorities. And once you fix those, then go right back down the list. And it should be an iterative process, right? Like um, it shouldn't just be, I'm gonna be blind to identifying risks just because I found a list. You should always be looking to identify new risks and, and prioritizing those. And sometimes you gotta stop what you're doing and go go take, go charge after the higher priority ones now. But that's, that's what we do. And uh, the dev side of it is really just us automating that. So I, I take a unpopular view of what DevSecOps is. And I think if you look at a lot of people and, and how they define that, they're really saying we're an AppSec team and we're introducing things into our software-defined lifecycle. Uh, I'm sorry, our, our, um, our software lifecycle. And they're saying, how can we be faster about finding risks in that lifecycle? But that's a very myopic view of risks in general from my perspective. So we're, we're not just looking at, you know, is there a defect um, that's about to go to production? We're also looking at you know, what systems do we have? What's our attack surface? 
um, um, all those related risks and we're trying to automate uh, being faster about identifying those, um, uh, providing feedback whenever possible so that they actually don't even go into production. So, um, and when they do hit production, um, identifying those as fast as possible and remediating as fast as possible. So it's just trying to solve real world problems through code and, and uh, reducing toil as much as possible. Yeah, yeah, the peanut butter analogy is awesome. Usually I hear it referred to as, or I should say, I refer to it as, you know, mile wide, inch deep. You can't yep. get a great picture of everything, but as a peanut butter lover, I will now be using the peanut butter effect. I remember the first time I heard that here and I had no idea what the person was talking about. Like, what are you talking about? But that, that is so, I think it came from uh, one of our founders and it, it, that analogy is used so, so, so much here that yeah, it's, it's pretty common. Yeah. Do you have a favorite peanut butter? Uh, I like Adam's uh, all yeah. natural peanut butter. Mm, see, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a Peter Pan guy myself. Peter Pan, yeah. Yeah. My, I'd never had a favorite peanut butter until my wife refused to buy anything but Peter Pan. So now I'm a Peter Pan guy. Um, so this, the next question I, I like to throw out, it is an interesting opportunity, I'll say. Um, what's been your kind of, and we use this as across the career in security, right? What's been your best day in security? And I hate to say worst day. Usually I ask of it, you know, a, a person at a company, right? What's, your, what's been your most challenging day? Because there are no worst days, right? You probably have a worst day, but um, what's been like your most challenging um, obstacle and if either how have you overcome it or how are you continually working to overcome those? Um, so there, there's a couple things coming to mind with the worst day. It's, 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 so it's interesting that you ask this question because uh, I always encourage people to like give that a lot of thought like what's your what's your good day what's your bad day and um, you, you, we should all, you know, uh, uh, I think it was Confucius that had a quote, you know, like, um, um, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life, mm -hmm. more or less. And there, there's a lot of value in that, right? Like, we should, we're all good at some things and uh, we're bad at others. Um, and you should really focus on the good things. Like, we should always challenge ourselves and we should always try and get better at things. But you're gonna be more efficient at the good things and, and you should try and focus on those things. So what, what makes you happy because you're gonna be motivated to go and do those things. Um, but at the same time, that in the real world, that, that doesn't always work out. But I mean, I, I, I have always liked a good challenge and um, you know, like when you, when you get to that end of that challenge and if it's the harder it is and the longer it is, um, the, the better the feeling is at the end where you're like, man, like I wasn't even sure if I was gonna be able to do that. It's kind of like hiking a 14er, right? Where you, you get to a point somewhere in the 14er where you're just like, I'm, I'm tired, I've got a headache, there's not enough oxygen up here, um, but I'm, I'm committed, I'm just gonna keep pushing on. And then you get to the top and you got the view and you're like, this was, this was worth it. Um, so when you, when you get to the end of those things, like those are always a good day, but there's so much that goes into getting there that you're gonna have a ton of bad days in between. Um, so there's, there's, I don't see anything wrong with bad days, but um, there's, there's definitely some things about security that to this day just like, you know, are, are challenging and, and I'm still trying to learn like how do you really do this better? And, and one of those things is, is really um, the, what's more or less the marketing aspect of security, right? It's, 
It's taking an organization that has no forcing function for it to do any of the right things and actually convincing it that it should be doing those things. And that, that's one of the things that I found the most interesting about the Trade Desk is it didn't have PCI compliance, it didn't have HIPAA, uh, GDPR at the time wasn't in, in force. Um, it did have SOX, but um, you know, in my mind coming into it uh, naively, I thought SOX is gonna be so easy, like I'm just gonna knock that thing right out. But anyways, um, those compliance things, there's so much difference between compliance and security. Like compliance is uh, two entities agreeing that two things are gonna happen, or I'm sorry, that things, certain things are gonna happen in an organization and then validating that those certain things are happening. But that doesn't actually always push the needle forward on security. So you, you take things like the Heartland breach where they were literally had a PCI audit like a week before and um, it sounds like most likely they reverted some things. And uh, if compliance actually pushed security so far, uh, I think a lot of us, uh, it would all be done, right? A lot of us wouldn't even have jobs. It would just be considered done. Um, and that just kind of shows that compliance is good, but it doesn't actually solve all of the security risks. Um, so it's very challenging to, to take any organization that has a hundred things that they, they're worried about. They have a you know, hundred or a thousand risks and you're trying to help them understand the priority of a security risk and, and why that should supersede or, or um, get more attention than anything else. Uh, that, that can be like so exhausting uh, to try and convince people of that, that there's a lot of times where you just, you just feel so exhausted at the end of the day from trying to make that happen. That, that those days can feel like bad days, but it's with enough of those um, uh, push forwards and you know the, the whole idea that the squeaky wheel gets the, the, the grease, that eventually you'll make it happen and it'll turn into a good day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You'll reach that summit, you'll hit the 14er. Eventually, yeah, and then, <laughs> just keep and then you just look for another one and just keep going. <laughs> yeah, there's a bigger one over there. Yep. Um, so it sounds like you read a lot, would that be fair? Uh, I read a fair amount, yeah. Yeah, I hear, so I heard um, Confucius. I, I read a little bit of your, your website and your, uh, your talk had some references to the art of war. Um, you mentioned From Good to Great, was it? Good to Great, yep. Um, do you have any other favorites, security or not security, just books you love or like to uh, maybe apply the philosophy therein in the workplace? <laughs> uh, you're, you're opening a can of worms. We can talk, <laughs> we can talk about this for a while. So, uh, yeah, I got, I got a. I definitely have a list. So I, I, I still like to buy paper books. Me too. I just never got into Kindles. I don't see anything, anything wrong with them. Um, some people really like to listen to books. I think that's great. Um, you know, as, as long as you're learning. I just like paper books. And one of the things I do at the end of reading a book is it just goes into one of two piles. One pile is I'd recommend that to somebody, and the other pile is I just wouldn't recommend it. And and the the it takes some while to figure out is this something I'd recommend or not and. It, it kind of goes back to you know reflecting on uh, what you learned from that book, and there's there's definitely some books out there that I've reflected on more and more. And uh, Good to Great is 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 a great book. Um, one of the things that you start to learn in security is that if every if if every shiny object, like every new tool, really solved the problem, like like we'd be done by now. But it's not necessarily a tool problem. A lot of it's uh, organizational change problem. 
and you, you really need to go and, and learn how to change organizations and um, and and you need to, to really just kind of learn how to get things done uh, I really like uh, the book Scrum, uh, The Art of Doing Twice the Things in Half the Time. The, the title is basically Scrum. It's a little bit longer. But that, that goes into kind of agile methodologies and, and the ideas behind Scrum. So uh, here we're a Scrum team. Uh, we're, we're within the engineering team. Every engineering team is a Scrum team. Um, we, we work on sprints. Um, you know, we, we adopt an agile methodology. Um, and Doing doing things through an agile methodology is uh, very effective at just overall getting things done. So the idea that you break down really big problems into sprints, and and you can prioritize the work in those sprints, and then at the end of the sprint, you can have retrospectives and say, hey, what what did we learn? How can we go faster? Um, do we need to reprioritize the work? Um, there, there's a there's a lot of value in those things, and then a, a lot of this, you know, it, it, when you kind of look at it from a sprint perspective. It, the, the paths of the summit isn't this like uh, daunting like uh, a, a thing that you, you stand no chance at accomplishing. You kind of look back at it and it's just legs of the path that you need to, you need to get past. You pass one leg, you go to the next leg. Um, so I think, I think Scrum is super important. Uh, team dynamics are, are very, very important. So um, the book Good to Great kind of goes into team dynamics a little bit. Um, the book uh, Five Dysfunctions of a Team is super important. You've got to have an effective team. Um, and those, those are ones that, that I think I probably reflect on the most. Cool. All right. I appreciate that. Um, so I know I asked kind of what would be your most challenging days. Um, but what do you kind of see, especially from the DevSecOps um, side of things, what are the, the biggest challenges, be they for the trade desk, you know, locally, or uh, expand that out even to DevSecOps as a larger culture or community? What, what are those challenges? And I know part of that probably is realistically the, the sales slash marketing to the, uh, the C-suite or the steering committee or the board, whatever it might be uh, to, for importance. But do you see or have you identified anything else that is really kind of that, that rock you're trying to break? Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, once you've done security long enough, like you start to realize there's, there's so much to it and, um, it's pro and at the end of the day, you're always trying to prove a negative. So you're always trying to say like, if we do this thing, this other thing's not going to happen. And that's, that's impossible to prove. And, um, it's, it's really challenging. While, and then a company's got these other competing priorities that, that have some very clear goals and some, some very clear feedback loops as to whether or not you achieve those goals, like did we increase sales this quarter? Um, so those, those priorities are, are typically going to win. But there's, there's the kind of marketing, organizational aspect of it, and then you have to stay sharp on the security side. So, um, you know, it's, it's so challenging to stay up on the, the security side as well. And... Uh, you know, co coding is important um, for a common language, for um, reducing toil, um, but it's also one of these other things that you now have to learn. Um, so sometimes I wonder why I even do this at all, to be honest, because it's, <laughs> it's, it's so challenging, but, uh, uh, and, and sometimes it doesn't feel like the reward is right, but at, at the same time, I, th I think I always kind of come back from that, like, 14 perspective, like, 
it, it's, it's worth the challenge to, to try and figure that out. And I, we're, we're still on the, uh, the precipice of, of, of a lot of organizations getting to the point where they, they have security teams. You know, there's typically some forcing function that brings a security team into an organization, whether it's a compliance initi initiative, uh, an incident, uh, or, or, or something else that forced them to do that. Um, so I, I think we're, we're starting to see a um, profession that, that's, uh, a, that has been growing rapidly, but is only gonna grow uh, e even faster. You know, there's, there's a lot of uh, privacy laws that states and, and federal um, entities are, are trying to enact, and um, those, are, those are gonna be forcing functions that force a lot of other companies to do this. So we saw it in Europe with, with GDPR, we see it in California with CCPA. Um, it's, it's all signals to suggest this isn't gonna get any easier, it's just gonna get harder. Um, so it, it's that challenge of it and it's uh, you know, the, the increasing awareness of it that I, I find kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um, so you're a team leader, right? How, and this is going to be purposely kind of open-ended, and I know most of them have been already, but how do you build an effective team or what are your kind of big goals when it says, when you're, you're given direction to, I, I need you to just make an effective team. And that's, that's the only guidance you get. What is your ideal state for building an effective team? So if you're, if you're building a new team, uh, you're in a unique opportunity um, to like, be really picky about who you hire and hire smart people and um, enable those smart people to do what they do best. And I, you know, th there's, a, there's a lot of philosophy that goes into how you actually do those things on a, on a day to day basis. So, you know, there, there's the, um, the idea of, of, you know, staying inclusive on changes. It's, it's not just one person on top that's barking all the orders and, and trying to lead them. It's the entire team that's helping to solve the problem. Um, that, I mean, it, it sounds so simple, but I mean, that's really it. So hire smart people and serve those people. They're not there to serve you. You're there to serve them and, and good things will happen. Awesome. Um, what would you, or how would you encourage somebody say from a traditional IT or maybe they are a soft analyst, right? Or, or they have an interest in what this whole DevOps, DevSecOps, even application security, web app testing, whatever it is, the stuff that is maybe outside of their current purview, how would you, or would you have any resources you may point them to to say, pick this book up, read these chapters, do these exercises, um, anything that jumps out as this is the news yes. to know? Yeah, I mean, so the DevOps is really born out of lean manufacturing. Um, so, you know, one of the, the best books to understand lean manufacturing is the goal. And it is, uh, I'm having a hard time rem remembering the name of that author, but it, it, it's, it's basically a, a fiction book, fiction type story that kind of goes into um, um, the practices and the values of lean manufacturing. And then I think it was Kim Scott wrote The Phoenix Project, and he borrows heavily from the, the format of the goal and a lot of, and DevOps is really born on lean manufacturing, so it, it makes sense that he would borrow heavily from a, a lean manufacturing book, but um, DevOps follows kind of the same idea. And it's, uh, it's this idea, 
there's a lot of ways to describe what lean manufacturing is and, and what DevOps is. And I, I really think about, I, I'm a, I like to ski, I like to snowboard, and I think about it when I see um, uh, or take a friend up for the first time that's snowboarding. And, and when you do that, you'll, you'll, what's most interesting is when you take up a very athletic friend <clears throat> and, and you kind of ask them like, hey, do you want to go over some pointers or something? They're like, no, I got this. And they, they, they jump off the lift and they immediately to flail, they start to flail around like a fish out of water. And everything they do is so inefficient. But what you start to realize after you snowboard and ski for a while is uh, it's a lot less about your physical ability as it is your comfortability, you being comfortable with actually the sense of falling down. So when you get comfortable with that sense, you start to lean in on, on the, the board or the skis and you start to have those do more of the work than, than you do to, to really you know, physically make that happen. And I, I think about that, those, those are things that I think about, but it's really the idea of like a, uh, you know, an elite athlete as well, like a, an Olympic athlete. An Olympic athlete is basically perfecting to the point of what they don't need to do. Like they're not trying to add anything else they're trying to figure out what do I need to take away um, because through those efficiencies, I'm going to be a better athlete. And lean manufacturing and, and DevOps is, is really no different. Um, uh, I think in lean manufacturing was the, the idea of uh, value stream mapping came out of lean manufacturing and you can apply it towards DevOps, towards DevSecOps as well. But it's this idea of uh, what is our goal? So if we're a software company and our goal is to ship features that customers want to buy, then, then really the goal is those features. There's second order um, needs that come along with that because customers are going to be attracted to the feature, but they have some expectations about security, um, about stability, about availability, um, things of those nature. Um, but th so those things come into the goal, but you really have to look at what's the most efficient way for us to get those features out and meet all those second order needs. Um, and that's, you know, the, the goal, um, uh, the Phoenix Project, I, th I think those are great books to, to kind of key you into that. But as with anything where um, a term became popular, uh, marketing teams have adopted these names and they've kind of morphed off to things that didn't really include their original meetings, meanings. So uh, a lot of times you'll see companies where they have a DevOps team and you go and talk to what what, talk to a person on that team and ask them about their day-to-day -day and they're really describing a very, very traditional sysadmin role, but somebody wanted to call them DevOps for whatever reason. Um, I don't, I actually don't like the term DevSecOps. It's like, where do we really end here? Like, where, where do we just like kind of add things? I always thought it should have been agile security, but um, DevSecOps kind of took off. So I, I figured, you know, like that, that's, that's the name and if it's going to stick, use it. Um, I don't think there is a book out there that, that really kind of goes into uh, what DevSecOps is. There, uh, there was a couple of speakers at RMIC um, and they wrote a book. I think it's uh, Common Failures of DevSecOps and it's, it's like four or five, maybe, I'm sorry, maybe seven or eight short stories yeah. on kind of failures in DevSecOps. And that's, that's an a interesting glimpse into um, what DevSecOps is. But... It doesn't follow the tradition of the oral story that like Phoenix Project and, and the goal has. And I think we really need that. And, and I've contemplated just, you know, taking a crack at writing that. Um, but, you know, 
the peanut butter effect. Like I, 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 <laughs> I, I have to keep focused on, on, on what's most important and I'm not sure that's most important right now for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've noticed, and, and this is just a common theme and I think it's something that people do as they you know, progress in, in careers in general and in, in life, but uh, I have a, a friend and mentor of mine that when I started kind of going through um, some of the more high level discussions in information security and, and talking about GRC and risk management in particular and, and controls and all this stuff, um, he said something to me that I'll, I'll never forget, of course, because it came true as a you know, prophecy that was, you will never go out and walk the street and not see something as that's a preventative control. This is a deterrent control. This is X, Y, and Z. Do you find that with DevOps as well, or is it just a security thing that now you're looking at everything? Does it induce some paranoia in you being in security by nature? And then does that ex kind of expand out into your current role at all? I've been doing this too long. And if anything, I, I worry that I'm starting to fall into the normalized uh, uh, deviancy bucket <laughs> where like you, you start to just kind of get numb towards things the longer you've, you've been here, you, you've been doing it where, you know, like what was once old is new again. It's, it's like some repetitive cycles. Um, I, I find it very interesting that um, it used to be, from my perspective, it used to be uh, anybody that processed credit cards were huge targets and they were kind of the forefront of security controls. And um, the game, you know, the attackers shifted and they saw an easier target. When, when the state of security improved for credit card processors, you know, uh, typically people that, that want to attack your system, uh, they're a lot like businesses if they're not actually businesses or acting as businesses where they, you know, they, they want to, through, through that efficiency idea, they, they want to go get the most money as efficiently as they, they could. And cryptocurrencies like became that thing. And, the, the cryptocurrency world got hit really hard. And it's, it's so interesting because it was this world that wasn't heavily regulated. And the forcing function wasn't the regulation. The forcing function was people losing millions of dollars. Um, and and I, I like to, to stay aware of incidents and, and really kind of learn from those, those incidents. Because um, the more you know about what incident, incidents are actually occurring, um, the more likely you are to be better at prioritizing where you need to focus your time. Um, so I, I don't know that I, I walk through the world and I see like preventative controls and, and, and different controls that, you know, like you start to see just sloppiness and uh, you, you, you get that like spidey sense where you're like, uh, I'm looking at this, this, this point of sale terminal and I'm seeing some things that don't look good or I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm filling out uh, uh, some form online and, you know, I'm, I'm seeing some, some things that, that, that I don't like. But it, for me, it goes back to that idea of how do you stay efficient? Like you can fall down a pretty deep rabbit hole when you start looking into those things in depth. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, somebody else has more time than me. Like they, they, can, they can go and, and dig into those things and I'll stay focused on the things I need to. All right, well, it's, it's reassuring to hear that maybe my paranoia levels will subside over time and I'll start to normalize a bit. <laughs> so uh, my manager is uh, somebody that used to be on the, the Yahoo Paranoids team. And I, I just like that team name. Like I, I think every security team should just be called the Paranoids. <laughs> I like like, it. it's, it's, it's so true. Like we didn't, we didn't get into this um, 
because we weren't paranoid. Like most security people get into it because they, they are paranoid and, and it's, it's like an onion. The, the more layers you peel away, the more you want to cry. So it's, <laughs> it's you know, it's, it's paranoia just comes, comes with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned staying up on attacks and, and breaches and stuff like that. How, how do you best do that? I, th- I feel like everybody has kind of a different either list of resources or you know, RSS feeds or whatever it might be, Reddit, Twitter. Um, how do you do that? Uh, so for a long time, I've, I've just gone out and, and looked for sources that have that information. So bre- U.S. breach laws have been super beneficial for um, instrumenting that data. So you take like California, uh, their attorney general um, discloses publicly any breaches that they've been notified of. Any, any state that has a, a breach law does the same. And then, you know, there's things, there's, there's popular sites like Krebs on security and, and others that the, the big ones that maybe didn't fall into one of those states, um, they'll catch attention on those. And then what I usually like to do is read as much as possible. And if there is a, a breach disclosure where they go into depth about you know what happened, you can, you can really start to see patterns. Um, and I guess this is where I start to see like preventative control patterns, where you start to see patterns and you're like, man, if, if you had this NIST control in place, like that would have reduced your risk so much, but also you know like like PCI has this control. Like if you would have had that in place, um, you would have reduced your risk as well. And I I, t- I tend to take um, that information. Uh, so I, I have a I started a, a subreddit. It's Security Breach, and what I was doing was posting all that there because I wanted to encourage more conversation about all these breaches. Um, mostly the conversation of how did it happen, how could it have been prevented, but I, w- I was never able to, to stimulate that discussion, but I still have a, a spreadsheet where I'll put them in there and I'll tag them with what I think happened, and then that creates some graphics that um, I've used multiple times internally. So on, on our, our corp security side, um, you know, it's it's so easy for people to chase their tail and they you know they say like oh man i i read this thing in the news and why aren't we doing this thing and it's and i'll use that data to to take an evidence-based approach and say if we if there's something that we need to focus on the most it's this one thing because that's that's where you know breaches are really stemming from at the moment so um like a great example is the proliferation of of bec so business email compromises um, you know, it, the, the whole Nigerian scam maybe has roots going back like 100 years, but at the same time, there's teams, maybe they're in, you know, Africa or not, there's, there's teams out there and they can monetize a compromised business email account so fast that there is a huge surge in business email compromise attacks and, and compromised emails. When you read through those attorney general um, breach notifications, probably nine out of 10 of those are very traditional BEC attacks. So it's for organizations taking evidence-based approaches towards risk reduction, it's huge evidence that you need to be focused on on BEC aspects and what their tactics are and, and, and bolster your defenses there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, to bring it back home, I mean, risk management, risk prioritization, as you mentioned earlier, it's it's a matter of there are so many so many threats to any given organization, it's a matter of prioritization. Absolutely, I think I, I see it time and time again where people are looking to their vendors 
for this insight. So they're calling up their vendors like, hey, what's going on? What are you seeing? And there, there's a lot of good vendors out there. I, I don't, you know, there's a whole ecosystem. Um, I, I don't, I don't want to, you know, talk bad about vendors, but vendors want to sell you something most of the time and they are going to frame something so it, it can be leveraged to sell you something more often than not. So, you know, fear, uncertainty, and despair is, is the most common sales tactic and um, it'll, it'll be used commonly. But there's so much open data right now about the origins of breaches and how predominant those origins are, um, even across industries or specific to industries that um, I, I think everybody should be using that data to take evidence-based approach towards reducing risk. Cool, and that was, um, the subreddit was security breach? It's uh, slash r slash security breach. Cool, um, all right. Well, where can the, the fine people find you now that we told them where to find the subreddit? I'm pretty easy to find. I'm, if you just go to ericalexander.org, um, it's got links to where I'm at on Reddit, where I'm at on GitHub, where I'm at on Twitter. I, I can't say I ever really um, bought into Twitter too much, but, but I, I'm there. And it's got my LinkedIn. Um, people can find me on LinkedIn pretty easy. All right, great. Well, thank you. Yeah, you bet. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.